Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes. Ruoff Mortgage has the technology, expert staff, and resources to simplify the process while speeding up the time it takes to get clear to close. So while getting a loan can seem intimidating, Ruoff Mortgage will have you opening the door to your new home fast and stress-free. Visit Ruoff.com to learn more. That's Ruoff.com. NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those cameras up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. Look into Quest, the lab that's processed over 25 million tests and counting. You can get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's experience and accuracy you can trust from Quest, the largest medical testing lab in the country. So order today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go racing here at Knoxville. Only the best go three of It is showtime at Williams Grove Speedway. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, here at Eldora Speedway, it's showtime. Yes, you go for a rip. Often imitated, never duplicated, the greatest show on dirt, the Time to sit back, relax, and enjoy, because ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime! Set to do battle for 30 laps, the green flag is waving! Hello again, it's Wing Nation, the podcast presented by Driving, DRF Racing, and by Hercules Tires. So glad you joined us as we continue on taking a little downtime, a little social spacing, a little gap between all of us. So Ashley and Aaron are not here, and we're taking this opportunity to share some of the great interviews that we have had over the past time, sitting down with the icons and legends of the sport. And today, Hall of Famer, Crew Chief, Guy Forbrook. Oh, what a great, great chat I had with Guy. And we're going to share that with you from last year up at the Jackson Nationals. So stay with us. Guy Forbrook is coming up. Before we get to that, though, it's our Drydeen Diesel All-Deftifying Move of the Week. And now for the Drydeen Deftifying Move of the Week, where one driver simply amazes us with their on-track moves. And wow, what of a series of events that happened right there in turn three and four. Goodyear up on the wall. He's up on the back bumper of CB now the turns three and four. Now look at Kevin Swindell. A three, the three wide for the racing, a three-car battle as they work down the front straightaway, Johnny. That Deftifying Move was brought to you by Drydeen Diesel All Def, the official def of the world of outlaws and wheelmen everywhere. Visit drydean.com for more information.
power isn't born. It's built over time. For over 65 years, Hercules Tires has been providing the muscle to move more drivers. Whatever the vehicle, whatever the terrain, and we back it with a powerful protection plan. So wherever the road or the trail takes you, we have the selection, value, and strength to get you there. Hercules Tires, ride on our strength. It is Wing Nation, the podcast presented by Dryden, DRF Racing, and by Hercules Tires. So many great partners that help us get up and down the road with Wing Nation. And we appreciate Classic Ink Screen Printing and Embroidery as one of our great partners. And they're the ones that do our shirts and our hats. So make sure you go to Wing Nation and check them out. They're offering full-service customer or driver apparel and crew wear options. Full-service embroidery department specializing in headwear and outwear. They have a great design team, a great sales staff from top to bottom, Brian. Brian Ellerberg and the crew there just does yeoman's work, making sure they take care of us and making sure they take care of everybody. You can find out while teams like Sheldon Hodenshield, Donnie Schatz, Danny Dietrich, David Stremme with their lethal chassis business, Tony Stewart, Brian Brown, and others, they choose Classic Inc. USA. You can choose them too, www.classicincusa.com. Last year, the Jackson Nationals up in Jackson, Minnesota. When we head to Minnesota, it's always great to talk about the greats from up in that part of the world. And Guy Forbrook is one of the greats. He's a Hall of Famer, and he sat down with myself up at the Jackson Nationals to talk about his career. Here's that conversation. We're here talking to 2016 Sprint Car Hall of Famer Guy Forbrook. Hey, man, how are you? Great, great. Nice to see you. Good to see you, too. I want to go back right to the beginning, okay? And and we're doing this at Jackson Motorplex, and I was down in the Jackson Racing Hall of Fame temporary building they have there, and your dad's name is all over everything down there. Your dad racing, what's your first recollections, your first memories of your dad racing? Oh, it would have been in the 60s probably. Um, I didn't really remember Jackson that much. Mm -hmm. It was probably 69 at Knoxville. Yeah. First time I really start remembering things, 69, 70. I mean, I can remember in 1970 when, when Joey's dad, little Joe Saldana, set a new track record at the Knoxville Nationals at 1906, the time was at that time. Wow. And he won the Nationals that year. So that's probably my first recollection, really, of kind of the racing stuff. What kind of a racer was your dad? Um, he was pretty much like a dry, slick IMCA guy like they all were back then, uh, Sunday afternoon kind of racer um that was probably his best forte and you ultimately ended up following him to the driver's seat but were there other things were you were you determined to be a race car driver or were there other things that might have might have jumped in and and kept you from doing that or as as you were a young kid going through that what what was that like no that's really all i wanted to be i'd race snowmobiles too and uh I'd, I'd always wanted to be a race car driver, and then I went to college, and and basically I went to college half-heartedly, basically, you know, because I wanted to race. So I put in my time a little bit there and then decided to come back, and and I met with two retired farmers, and they uh, co-signed a note with me, and I went to the bank and bought a car. And uh, the rest is history. That's how I started driving a race car. So you borrowed money. I mean, and, and I guess that was probably a different era because because 
now there's not a lot of ways to make money in racing, but mm -hmm. then it was kind of a business. Yep. It was, it, 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 there was, a, there was right. a, a light at the end of the tunnel where you could, this was a business. Yeah, no, I, I always had treated racing as a business. When right. I raced snowmobiles, I raced them. I didn't go like, I always raced with the big the big guys. Yeah. You know, I always traveled around from, from Wisconsin to South Dakota, North Dakota. When when I in 1980 I won the World Series at Waldheim, Canada, up by Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. So I, I raced against. I that's I always like to be to race against the best people that you can race. Yeah. No different with cars. When I started, um, I always wanted to race against Doug Wolfgang or Steve Kenzer or Sammy Swindell. The snowmobile in, in mid 80s. You ended up. You, Got the got the farmers to co-sign. You got your race car. Okay. Did you also snowmobile race at that time, or was there a no. fork in the road where you went, went went to the to the car side? What what was the what happened there? No, I came home with the snowmobiles one day and decided that that was enough and to sell them. And I really didn't like the cold. If you really wanted to know uh, the truth, I get that. And um, but snowmobiles are fun. We I mean we grew up as family that we had a, a dealership snowmobile dealership okay. with Polaris. And uh, but race cars were always my dream, and and as a kid back then, all you wanted to race was the Indy 500. I mean, the Daytona 500, you always kind of heard about it at that time, but the Indy 500 was the thing. I mean, AJ or the Unser's or all them guys, and that's when when little Al was starting and running around here with sprint cars with the Pennzoil team and that. Um, the Indy cars were what everybody wanted to do at that time. And so that was the career path. That was that was where you were headed. That's what I wanted to do. Yep. You got started in the 360s, or ran in the 360s, then up into the 410s. Had some success. What kind of racer were you as far as the driver goes? I was aggressive. Uh huh. Um, probably a cross between a Hodenshield and a Lasowski. Kind of both. I could run the bottom. I could run the top. Uh. I had no problem wheeling you if I had to. Yeah. Um, and I could flip with the best of them, you know. So, <laughs> but but no, I was I was young. I only got a couple of years in. Um, but uh, I had a lot of people doing good things for me, and and it was really looking good. Really looking good, rolling through your life. The car accident, not a race car, car accident. Uh, put you in a stage where you're paralyzed, um, and you stayed away from racing for a while. Was it just you couldn't do? I, I probably understand it, but describe why you stayed away from racing at that point. Well, at that time, after I got hurt, I mean, I knew laying in that road ditch that night. I knew ten minutes after that accident when I got I got out of the car and went over to see my friend. And then sat down, and I never got back up. But I knew when I couldn't move that I was in big trouble. Oh. And uh, but I also, I mean, I as I kept progressing, I knew that probably my racing was over. And so, to be honest with you, I held a pretty big chip on my shoulder for a, a yeah. quite a while. And then I got to doing some research stuff, um, some walking with electric stimulation, and with some really good people and, and it kind of kept my mind focused on on other things besides being paralyzed yeah. you know and uh, 
And then the guy by the name of Ron Coles that I was driving for like when I first, right, the last time I drove, um, he came to, or he called me actually, and wanted me to go to a race with him, and I did, and and I really kind of stayed away somewhat with it, and then uh, we kind of sat down and talked about maybe doing something, and I didn't think it was going to be really going to happen, and then he calls me up and says, hey, I want you to do this team. So that's how it started, and then we that year we actually we hired quite a bit different guys because it was in the middle of the year, and we raced with Jerry Reichert Jr. and Losowski and Rocky Hodges and T.J. Giddings and yeah. just names, you know. And uh, we built the motor for the Nationals, me and a couple other friends, um, at a guy's shop, which the guy at that time was in southern Minnesota here, became Henrik's Motorsports head mm-hmm. dyno guy a year later. Wow. Right off the farm. So it was a bunch of farm boys building this motor. And uh, we went to the Nationals. I hired a guy at the gate by the name of Rick Unger. Never met him in my life. And we ran like 14th or 15th in the AMA and the Knoxville Nationals. Oh, my God. So honestly, out of all the things that we've done out of this little town, I think that was probably one of the biggest feats where I took this motor, we built it on this engine stand, put it in the back of my 66 Impala in the trunk, took it to a, a shop and put the motor in the car and what we barely even had a spare front axle and we went to the Knoxville Nationals and hired a guy we never even knew and made the AMA. Oh my god, that's amazing. Were you back when you were a driver, were you mechanically hands-on at, when you were a driver, the, the mechanical side of it was always of interest to you, is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I could build my own motors and, and do my own cars and I was the same way with the snowmobile. You know, uh-huh. I, I would do my own thing, do my own stuff. No different than right now, like with the cars, I, I'm pretty much hands-on with motors, and, and I'm, I'm probably better with motors than I am with setup. But I always could make motors run really good, so the setup was kind of, you know, yeah. where if, if we were close to, with the car, we were okay. You know? Yeah, um, in, in talking to some of your drivers, uh, man, you were a magician on those motors. I mean, and... and was there why was that what two strokes you grew up in a world of two stroke snowmobile motors they're the most finicky things you could ever work on mm-hmm. and you learn fueling and you learn sounds and 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 then i got to drive cars and that's what blew these guys away at first when i started driving cars for other people how i could get out and tell them the motor's lean the motor's rich the motor's vibrating on the top wow. and i hadn't even raced a year and a half and that was all from Riding snowmobiles. Wow, that now that may, that makes sense though because and that's that's where your that's where your your everyone your 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 motors those those cars would just go really really strong. Um, I, I mean I've had some. Any time that I ever got in trouble back then, I would always talk to these older guys, like way older than me, because I was in my twenties then, barely twenty actually. And I would always talk to like the old drag race guys, or yeah. or an old airplane guy, or um, just about things about mechanicals, about motors. You know, what makes them tick, and and the camshafts, and and the fuel systems. And then actually after that, then when you start racing and traveling around, if you're going to own your own team and you're going to travel around the United States, you better have your ducks in a row, or you're not going to make it go. Because yeah, yeah. I, I. For 26 years of my own team, I did it for a living. 
I mean, the car, if it didn't make money, I had to go home. So, and we had a lot of good years, you know. And just kind of learned on the fly with them things. And I and at that time, when we first started, I was with a guy by the name of Earl Gertie. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's that engine shop was top of the line, yep. you know. So, so I had, a, I had the, with working with Earl, too, it was, it was really good. You guys, one of the things in talking, and, and it's almost bringing it to the present, but you know, I still want to follow the, the story here, but how creative could you be with engines at that time? You know, it's like if you sit here right now, I wish I knew this back then because, man, you would have had a big, big advantage. Yeah. What you've learned through the whole road now, and if you could be doing this yeah. back then. And I, I honestly, I mean, I sit back and think about Carl. Carl was Steve. He had Steve. But Carl had motors that would really run, too. And, and Carl was always ahead with his motor program with a lot of people. And uh, you, you kind of, it's like you, you, you get a couple of years going here and you think, God, why didn't I think about that mm-hmm. five years ago? Yeah. You know? And a lot of the stuff, though, is like monkey see, monkey do, and you're kind of going along and doing things. And people don't like to get out of the box that far because the motors were so expensive and but, I mean, when I did my own stuff, I did get out of the box, yeah. you know. And and we blew some stuff up, too, you know. So <laughs> sure, yeah. We did, you know. Yeah. Uh, amazing numbers, 270 wins, 63 different tracks. Uh, 87 of those wins were at Knoxville, 11 championships. What was there about that racetrack that uh, just was, was, was kind of your sweet spot? Um. Well, I mean, there was a, there was a few things. Like yeah. I said, we had good motors, and and then we we started with with Danny, and I'd been there too before, mm-hmm. and Danny was good at Knoxville. So at the end of the day, with the, with with me working on the motors and and a guy that had been there a little bit, and then I drove there, um, and then we raced around a little bit more. It just kind of fit what we had going on, and and as we went along, though, we could win on bow rings no matter. If it was Jack or Danny or, or Johnny or whatever. Um, but Knoxville's always, because we always went home, we always had a base. We always never lost. At, at the end of the year, I always said, you got to have something to hang your hat on. Mm-hmm. So we to hang our hat on was always to win the Knoxville points at that time. Because at least at the end of the year, you had something. You, yeah. could, you could win 40 races or 30 races, but if you never won a big one, it was just a race. But if you won the Knoxville points and some big races, you always had something to hang your hat on. Right, something to, something to and carry you through right. and get, get, get you on. Um, you mentioned the uh, Danny, you know, one of the early guys that drove for you. Uh, on again, off again, on again, off again. Um, I almost, and not knowing you that well, not knowing Danny that well, it's almost like brothers, it seems like to me. Um, how, what... Describe Danny as a racer first off. What was what were what were what were the things that made Danny Lasowski so good as a racer? Um, patience. Mm, yeah. Um, he's not the bravest, but he's got a lot of common sense. He had a lot of patience. He didn't wreck. He was a very good points racer. Um, could read the tracks. He could feel. And he never got his emotions. Never got the best of him. He could drive within himself as far as, I mean, a lot of guys, if you watch them race, when they get rattled on the track, their emotions kind of get the best of them, and they forget where they're going or what they're doing, and it takes a couple laps once they get rattled to to kind of get their bearings back. 
and he was good at that. I mean, Steve was probably the best at that that yeah, I ever seen. Yeah, just a rock. And you, you could barely rattle him. Yeah. So. When I look at the drivers that you had, Steve, Sammy, Danny, Jack, Terry McCarl, Tim King, Jeff Shepard, Johnny Davis, Bobby Davis, and, uh, Stevie Smith. Stevie Smith, yeah, exactly. Keith Kaufman, Ronnie Schumann. Oh, my gosh. Um, Rocky Hodges. I mean, I'm probably forgetting somebody, yeah, but there's yeah. there's a lot of them, you know. How did how did the different because you had everyone from laid back to intense like a Sammy to how uh, to an intense fire like Terry? How did that work with you uh, working with those? How, uh, it was more off track personality wise. How did that all work for you? And what were what were the challenges? What were the strong points? How did that work? Well, I mean, most of the time you you got a guy like Steve or Sammy or or Danny or Jack or Johnny or them guys like that, I mean, you just got to do your job because they're going to do theirs. And, I mean, and just communicate in the pits. So if if you do your job, you know they're going to do their job. And as, as successful as they are and mm-hmm. what they were, you had the best drivers in the country. You just had to do your job and, and you would get the job done. That was the biggest thing. I mean, um, there was no secret about... If, if you had a car that wouldn't fall out and wouldn't break and the motor ran and you put guys like that in the car, you're going to have success. So, um, and then if you get the car really good and then have them in the, in the car, you're going to have a lot of success, you know? Totally. So, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to have the best guys mm-hmm. in the country race for us. But you had some of the best equipment, too. Yeah, we did. We had good motors and good cars and a lot of good people behind us and but most of it was all local. I mean, like the stuff that I'm doing even right now, it's the old guys that I had in 1989 are back on this car. So, um, and it's fun. And, and, but they also know that if we're going to do this, we're going to win yeah. before it's over here. You know? yeah. And that's if I'll work 24-7 if I have to so we can win. And... Sometimes maybe that's my downfall where I work so much that I work myself in the ground, but I hate to lose. And at the end of the day, I mean, if you got good equipment and good drivers, you got no excuses. Has there ever been a waning in that fire in your belly? Has there ever been a time where it's like, okay, uh, you know, maybe maybe family vacations and retirement and that sort of thing, or is that fire still burn like it did uh, back when you were a race car driver in the early eighties? Um. No, I've actually been contemplating retiring here just because of the how I've been feeling. Yeah. But yeah. It, but if if I get my health back turned around, I want to win as bad as I did in the wow. 80s. I just I don't want to live in a hotel every other night though anymore. I don't I yeah. since I've been 16 years old I've lived in a hotel from snowmobiles to cars and I've seen every hotel from New York to Florida to Washington to California you can see. Yeah. And I mean nice ones and bad ones. <laughs> so yeah. I I just want to win big races, have a really good small team and be successful. Yeah. That's what I still like to do. And and if I can get my health turned back around where I feel like I want to do it every day, hell yeah, I'll do it another twenty years if I can, you know. Wow. That's it. When you look at your career, all the wins and everything, is there is there one win, one situation, one memory that kind of stands out to you that says, okay, if 
we're, we're making a highlight reel of Guy Forbrook's career. This is the number one highlight. What would what would that be? Well, in a car, it's hard to pick with the car yeah. because I had so many good guys, so many good crew guys, so many good drivers. It's hard to say, well, I'm going to pick this guy out and say this was the race. I mean, but you, you got to probably say, like, the first outlaw win would be big on yeah. your because we never even dreamt at that time that we were going to go out in the first year and win an outlaw show. Yeah. And we did. And uh, so that would be one of your highlights. Um, Cheaters Day races that they had right down the road here at Sioux Falls and that big track where there was anything goes. Um, we won a lot of them. And probably the biggest one there was with Jack, with a car that we had built. And these guys, we'd won it the last couple of years before that with Danny. And Danny showed up with... Kenny Woodruff, and they pretty much kind of copied what we had been doing. And Wolfgang showed up with Max Rogers, and he kind of been doing some things. And we opened the back door of this thing, and we had Jack driving it. <laughs> and I rolled this thing out, and they all looked at it like, what in the hell? And I took, I had Lex stand from the rear bumper to the front bumper, all the way down the side, and then I had IndyCar side pods on it. And so I had adjustable wicker bills on it, but this wing went all the way down the side and I had put a brake on it so I'd grab air and all that and we braced it in the back and and uh we went out and we hot lapped it and in this place here it was it was yeah. fast. This is a bigger as big as like you no know, as bigger than Knoxville. Yeah. So and it's an afternoon race, so Jack gets in the car and I don't you guys gotta know Jack. He hot laps this thing and this thing's got a this place has got a crosswind on it. And it's the middle of the afternoon he gets out of the car and he goes, Forbrook, this thing's a little scary to drive. For Jack. Now, if you can imagine Jack Hodgefield saying that, oh, I God. said, what? He goes, I'm telling you, when it gets that side wind, it just takes you for a ride. I said, all right, we'll just kind of watch see what the wind does here. And so they ran these different classes and all that. And Wolfgang and Lasowski started on the front row. And we started second row. And they dropped the green and... And Wolfgang's leading, and Lasowski's running second. And they get about eight to ten laps in it, and they come off of four. They go down the front straightaway, and I'm on the back straightaway in turn three, and they go out of sight. And there's like eight to ten thousand people in these stands. I mean, it's huge. One of them big fairground stands. All of a sudden, the whole crowd just goes crazy. And I'm standing on the back straightaway, or sitting back there with a guy by the name Al Cole, the guy who did the motors with us yeah. that bought him. And the whole crowd goes crazy, and Hod comes off of turn two, leading this race, and he had passed five cars when he went out of sight. And Al looks at me, he goes, what in the hell did he do, drive through the infield? And I said, I got no idea. And I, I got the video of this thing. He drove in on the outside, obviously, Lasowski, because he was on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he passed Lasowski on the outside. He turned left and went back under Wolfgang and passed him on the inside. And there was two lap cars or three lap cars in front of them. And he took another right and went back to the outside and passed the three lap cars and come off a of turn two. He's leading this race. And he gets out of the car and he goes, he goes, Forbrick, I don't know what an Indy car feels like to drive, but holy shit, this no. is what's got to be what it's <laughs> like. God. That's what he said to me because he, he was just going like this and driving around. So then with there was like five laps to go, there was a, a red flag. Somebody had crashed, and Wolfgang's tires, he, had, he was trying to keep up with us with this, and he run his tires off. So back then, you could change tires on the red. 
So he decides to change tires. And I looked at Hod and I said, now listen, you run this thing hard for one lap and then get off the throttle because they say you're going through the corner so fast you're just running the tires right off of this thing. So he runs her one lap and he gets about a straightaway out there in one lap and he ends up winning the race. We pull up in the front straightaway. He gets out of the car. By the time he gets around to the front of the car, both the tires went down on the rim. Oh, They're my both God. Flat. Both went flat. So For, for a guy like you, and, and I've actually, uh, we've done a lot of work uh, with, uh, with the Weikert family, uh, Todd Weikert and, mm-hmm. and, and Dr. Davey Brown, and Bob Weikert loved the big motors, mm-hmm. loved the big thing. For a guy like you, those cheater races must have just been lick your chop days. Well, I mean, it was, it was just, actually, it was fun because you had to be, Inventive, and you had to be open. And, and um, bottom line is, you just wanted to win. Yeah. And you to over engineer somebody else's deal, and most of the time you can kind of tell because it didn't cost that much to do this stuff to make it. And when we built these IndyCar side pods, this is a funny story too. I was in Manzanita at the Pacific Coast Nationals non-wing race with Jack. Okay. It was 118 in the shade. It was in October. And uh, we met this old fabricator from there. And I said that I wanted to build these pods. He said, well, come down about midnight to my shop. It was down on Van Buren, okay? Which I don't know if any of you guys know anything about where it goes. Well, I mean, at midnight, you're driving around down an area. You're like in this, like, Fort Knox. When we got to this old building, all these gates and locks and everything, you know? We went in there from midnight to 2 in the morning to build these IndyCar side pods on these Nerf bars, and he had, he did the adjustable worker bills and all that. And uh, and we were running non-wing, though, that week with Jack. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, go to, we go to this non-wing race, and Schumann had drove for me that year in 91 because Jack had got sick. And Schumann and Leland come walking up to me, and Schumann goes to me, he goes, now, Forbrook, because Schumann couldn't believe the motors, okay? yeah. yeah. He goes, we're taking the wing off tonight. That motor ain't going to do you a bit of good. Okay. I said, okay, because I'd never raced a non-wing car. Yeah. I said, okay. And so I asked them guys kind of what kind of gears they were running. And, and we come back to the pit there. And I mean, actually, this is a pretty funny story. And, and I said to Hot, I said, all right, now listen, I don't want to hurt you. I got no clue what the hell I'm doing here. So you just work with me until we get this thing going. So we go out the first time trials, and it's a new track record right out of the box. Oh, dear God. <laughs> and and uh, we end up winning the race that night. And Leland and Schumann start on the front row of this race. And we start six. And they drop the green, and it looked like Jack was on the interstate, and these guys were driving as fast as they could, and he was just going in and out. And they come off of, off of two at Manzanita, Schumann on the bottom, Leland on the top, and Hyde come off of two at past him right down the middle and just drove right on by Oh, my God. So Leland, or Schumann comes over to me after the race. He goes, you know what, Forbrick, I've raced a lot of non-wing races in my life. I have never seen nothing like that. That's the most ill-handling piece of junk I've ever seen. <laughs> no. he goes, That's what he said to me. I said, yeah, I still got a motor, though. The most ill-handling That's piece what he, of junk. He was watching Jack drive this thing around there, you know. And uh, <laughs> so we're, we're loading up because he had to unload in Manzanita, and we're loading up, and this old guy in these bib overhauls comes walking over to me, and he goes, he goes, do you really run a 30 right rear in that car tonight? And I looked at him, I said, I don't know why. He said, I was just wondering. He said, it doesn't really matter, I was just wondering, because they're all running 40s, and I kind of 
worked at the Goodyear guys and all that, and and I kind of kept pushing me, and I said mm-hmm. to him, yeah, I did. He said, okay. So the next night we come back to the track, and we start on the front row of this race, and about 10 laps into it, we blow a shock from a rock going through it, and he's leading it. And we get passed by this guy that was won the race. So this old guy comes walking over to me after the races the next night, and he goes, God, thanks. And I said, thanks for what? And he goes, for giving me that tip about that 30. And I said, who in the hell are you? He goes, well, I'm Bobby Jones. I said, oh, my God. I said, you son of a bitch. Said, <laughs> yeah. Right. He retired that night. Really? That was the last race he won. Last race he won. Yep. And with the never, 30 on it. Yeah. And he'll never let me live this down to the I'm, day. He, yeah. Every time he sees me, he goes, you still running that 30? You know? And that's how I met Bobby Jones. Oh, my night, gosh. 1991. That's phenomenal. You've had the, 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 the characters, the, the personalities, the people, that had to be as much entertainment. I mean, I know you want to go out there and whoop everyone's ass. I get that. But, my God, the stories, the, the, these situations like that just had to be so much fun back traveling that at that time. If I ever get in trouble, like with cars or doing things right now, I'll either call a guy like Bubby Jones, Rick Ferkel, yep. Davey Brown. Mm-hmm. I'll call guys like that because those guys – they done it, and they 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 had to build it and engineer it and know it. And if I got questions, I mean, you can talk to them guys, and and they'll there's they'll tell you why they did what they did. Yeah. And and from motor angles to radius rod heights to wings to whatever, these guys have they've evolved to what we have nowadays. You know yeah. what they did. You know, and they all were very successful at what they did. Speaking of nowadays, speaking of where we're at now, um, we talk about cheater days. We talk about the creativity you used to be able to have. Um, for whatever reason, we're here where we've got the same wings, the same tires, the same this, the same that. As a, in, uh, as a, as a guy that loves to create, loves to challenge things, is it feel like you're in a box or are there still areas as a, that, you, that you feel like you can, can still work in? No, there's still plenty of things you can work okay. in, and, and the motor angle, or you can still do motor stuff. I mean, it, with with wings and that, if if you you definitely could get some advantages in some of these places with different wings, but the cost that it would take for a smaller team to keep up to carry a wing for a different track to a different oh. track to all that, it, I mean, when you start talking thousands of dollars for wings and moving around, I mean, then the bigger teams would have an advantage. So I don't. I don't have a problem with mm-hmm. with the, the wing thing. I wish we still had Goodyear, and and not that I'm bad mountain Hoosier, but I wish we had Goodyear and McCurry and all those guys in the box yet for for one reason, human error. That way you had the you had the choice of what you could screw up on or not screw up on yep. that night for tires. And trust me, that come into play with with guys that ran McCurries and guys that ran Goodyears and guys that ran Hoosiers. One night the guy with the Hoosier would have advantage, one night the Goodyear would have advantage, one night McCurry would have advantage, but you'd still have human error of having your choice of what to pick. So that was another choice where mm-hmm. it would make it different and more competitive, I thought. you know. Yeah. Sometimes we, I, was, I was actually talking to um, uh, talking about different things like that, and uh, I think it was Terry McConnell we were talking earlier today. You could outthink the other people or you could outthink yourself, but that's part of the racing. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's kind of like... NASCAR from the Superbirds to the yeah, Thunderbirds they, yeah. to the Monte Carlos to, I mean, that was what, to me, that's what brought NASCAR racing to what it was. The, the old people 
the gearheads actually hooked to their brand. Nowadays, the younger kids don't have a brand sure. that they're, they're yeah. into. It's a different world, yeah. Right. Back then, there was a Ford guy, there was a Chevy guy, and a Dodge guy, and they lived that. and died. Blood that. Yeah. yeah. And and to watch, first time I was at Daytona, watch Elliott win that Daytona 500 with that Thunderbird that was five inches narrower yep. and cut through the wind better, or, or you watch the Superbird with Petty, or then you Earnhardt with the Monte Carlo. I mean, that was where people could could hook together with that and and that's what sold cars on Monday they, actually. They could identify with that. Yeah, exactly. And and the team could uh, yeah, teams would run different models of cars at different racetracks back in the day in yep. NASCAR and, and and bring it back to sprint cars if there was an option on that with the tires you could you could you could you could do that deal. That's fascinating, yeah. Yeah, and I mean I mean with with sprint car racing it, it's gotten the the cars really I mean when I when I told you about these two old farmers that I've got this money from and 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 did this. I it was ten thousand dollars that I borrowed, okay, from the bank. Yeah. And you can buy cars all day long yet for ten thousand dollars. So that hasn't really changed from nineteen eighty three yeah. to now. Yeah. Um, that was four tires, no motor, the wings, little odds and ends. It was ten thousand dollars back then, and you can still do it today and race competitive. Um, the biggest thing that's changed is you'd have. 15,000 on a motor back then at the most. Yeah. And now you're in the 60s. Yeah. Um, 360s are 55,000. Mm. Um, I, I mean, that's why I mean, like this 305 class. I, I really like this class because, I mean, that one motor that I ran here with Brady, we had $7,500 in that motor, you know? Wow. And it's a good starting class and it learns you the basics about cars. And, and we've had this talk with with Knoxville with John McCoy and that me and him went round and round about this about I asked him I said what are you teaching these guys when you put electronic motor in this car mm-hmm. and then then you think you're going to take them from that electronic motor to a 360 or a 410 which is mechanical I mean basically the electronic thing all they got to do is change the oil and they never even have to work anything so it. what are we teaching them and then all they want to do is well, what do we do how do we do this or that? And you, you're not really learning anything. And when we were 15 years old, we drove a car to the shop, pulled the motor out to race it on the street. You know, that that's the difference in, in today's world, you know? Yeah, but it's a, it's a societal thing, too. I mean, we're not a car culture anymore, which is a challenge. It's just what you said. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, but I don't even know if it's a car culture. Nobody identifies anything anymore. It, it's yeah, it's whatever whatever... Yep. The best deal is on the internet that day is what they identify with. That's and, true. And I mean, I'm still a Chevy man, and I'm 50 years old. You know, so I've been, yeah. I I know that kids nowadays don't care really if it's a Chevy, Ford, or a Dodge. Yeah, yeah, it is fascinating stuff. It really is how society has changed. Final question for you: 2017 inductee into the Sprint Car Hall of Fame. Uh, actually, it's ironic that we're here at Jackson because I think we were racing here that weekend. Mm-hmm. Now looking back a couple of years, what did that mean? What was what what does that mean to you to be uh, enshrined there? Well, I mean, it, it it's an honor to to be in in that Hall of Fame because it, then you're in there with people that are definitely built this sport, yeah. you know. And uh, I I it, it, I guess it shows kind of what you've done over your career, and 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 people. Um, awarded you that for that for doing that and and i'm definitely like to hang my hat on that place knoxville is 
is home. Jackson is where I kind of grew up at because I lived 50 miles from here. But I grew up kind of at Knoxville, yeah. and 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 then to be in the Hall of Fame, the National Hall of Fame there, um, is a big honor. Actually, I just got inducted in this Hall of Fame. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. So pretty neat. But uh, I, the National Hall of Fame is is something that all your hard work yeah. paid off. Yeah. Were you? Fred Raymer shared with me that he didn't think it was that big of a deal until he got there. And now, looking back on it, it's a huge deal. Were you kind of one of those that uh, was kind of in that category, too? Yeah, me and Fred actually talked about it. I mean, he goes, you know what, guy, they tell me I won all these races around Pennsylvania and winning this, winning this, that. And he said, I still got the same couch in my living room and the same TV. I think I'm still driving the same car. He goes, so I really don't know what I did. And I said, and I I agree, but I, I think along the way, I mean, you met a lot of people, and I've met, I've made a lot of good friends mm-hmm. through this whole United States, and people that that you'll never forget, and people that we've already lost, you know. Um, but uh, I, I think that's the biggest thing is that the people you meet, yeah. and I mean, like I said, I, there's really not a, even if we'd win the Knoxville Nationals before I'd quit, I mean, it's definitely going to be a big thing in my life. Sure, yeah, you know? absolutely. But will it be the deal where I would trade any of these other races for it? No. I wouldn't. What a ride. Because at the end of the day, all the, the guys work just as hard tonight yeah. as they would that night. Yeah. So. Yeah. Things, things work out right. on that magical night in August, and it's, you know, it's a, it, but the effort is still there. And I, it's, it, that, that magical night has is, is eluded me for a long time. Uh, we yeah, seconds, yeah. thirds, fourths, and, and we've won every race there from outlaw races to ethanol classics to the front to the back to the twin features um, that one that one race yeah well we hope you get your health yeah, going in the right matters. direction that's so you matters. said you want to stay close to home you want to win some big races and boy that'd be uh that'd, that'd be nice so we wish you the best getting your health back together we appreciate you spending some time hanging yeah. out and sharing some stories with us thank you how about it? the great guy forbro joining us here on wing nation What a great chance to catch up and learn about the life of Guy Forbrook. We appreciate you spending some time with us here on Wing Nation. Stay with us. More in just a moment. Ashley, what are you up to? Oh, I just stopped by to grab some sage fruit apples. Now I just have to decide which ones. You can never go wrong with a Honeycrisp. They're light, crisp, and full of perfectly balanced flavor. Oh, hey. You could always go with one of their classics, the Gala or Fuji. They're both sweet and juicy. Grown in the heart of eastern Washington, Sage Fruit Company works hard on the farm and with their retail partners to provide high-quality apples and pears to consumers all year long. Well, I couldn't decide which ones. Thanks for the help, guys. I'll race you to check out. Welcome back. It is Wing Nation, the podcast presented by Dry Dean, DRF Racing, and by Hercules Tires, the April 9th edition. I mentioned April 9th because today, another Hall of Famer, the Flying Scott, as he was known, Johnny Thompson. He was born in Loyal, uh, Lowell, Mass., and ran the midgets successfully 
a triple-A champion in 1952, a two-time New England champion. Champ cars, he had seven wins. Sprint cars, he was the 1958 USAC Sprint Car Champion and one of the iconic great drivers that ran predominantly in the New England states and in the Northeast. But, yeah, he did run Indy as well. And uh, this guy was just one of their absolute all-time greats. As happened so many times, this time it was the Allentown Fairgrounds. Uh, Johnny Thompson passed away after a crash in 1960, beloved by many and enshrined at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum over in turn number two at the Knoxville Raceway at uh, the uh, Marion County Fairgrounds. And, of course, uh, they have uh, seating available for the Knoxville Nationals, so you can just reach out to the museum and check that out. Make sure you get your seats locked in for the Knoxville Nationals. And right now uh, they're also planning for their Greg Hodnett tribute coming up. So lots of neat things happening there at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum. We appreciate getting the opportunity to talk to the, about them all of the time here on Wing Nation. And, well, we appreciate you spending some time with us here as we work through these days and trials that we're going through. Uh, We would certainly encourage you to participate and get active with us on social media. We're on Facebook with our page and our group. We're also on Twitter, and our YouTube channel is just chock full of great interviews from the past, so make sure you check that out as well. Also, I'd like to invite you to check out Saturday morning. We're on MAV-TV with Wing Nation, presented by Sage Fruit. The great, the iconic, Billy the Kid, Billy Pouch, joins us on this week's show. That's on MAV-TV, 7.30 and 10.30 Eastern Time on the MAV-TV Network. And we appreciate you checking us out here on the Wing Nation podcast presented by Dryden, DRF Racing, and by Hercules Tires. This has been the Wing Nation podcast. Find Wing Nation on wingnation.com, Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast provider. The Wing Nation Podcast is a production of the Motor Racing Network. All rights reserved. As much as life has changed over the last year, you're still pretty busy. So consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same tests hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 25 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F.com.